everybody back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. In Golden State. Right to the Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant, what's going on? What it do? And we are here to bring you episode 60. Yep. 60. We going to speed limit. We going over the speed limit, y'all. Episode 60 of Views from the Clutch. As always, we would like to take a moment out to say thank you to our subscribers, listeners, commenters, people that give us feedback, support. If you would like to join the movement, you could do so by leaving us a voice note on any of the podcasting platforms where our podcast is hosted. You can also message us directly by shooting us an email at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Facebook and Instagram. Let's get it started. Episode 60. Congratulations, brother. Another milestone. Yes, sir. Yes, Another sir. Milestone. Another milestone. Um... For our viewers out there, we did not dedicate an episode yet to the memory of Kobe Bean Bryant. We will in due time. Mm-hmm. Um, for the time being, we're going to continue going and moving along with the current events of the NBA. Um, when, we, when, we, when we break everybody off with that special moment, it's going to be special. So y'all sit tight. We want to make sure we do it right. We haven't really had the opportunity to put the mega minds together and really decide how we want to, you know, pay homage to someone who basically has been an impact on anyone who watches the game in the past 30 years, even though he only played 20 past 30 years or so of basketball have have resonance with that man, Kobe Bryant. But um, we don't really have a formal game plan today. So I just want to jump in and out and all around the NBA to some mm-hmm. hot topics that we've come across. Um, first one on the agenda, please, because you're the logical one out of us. You're the ones who, who seems to always have the voice of reason. C. Grant, tell us what's going on in Utah. Yo, Utah Jazz, I have not the slightest idea. These cats, is, these cats are like... It's almost like, like playing for Guy Rancourt. Nah, nah, not even. Utah, Utah don't know. First of all, Utah wants to win what? What did they win? Like 19 games in a row, 13, 17 games in a row? Yeah, they went and 17 now, and 2 or something. That's what I'm like saying. That, yeah. But now, they, now they, they lost the last 6 out of 10. They lost 4 straight. They now benching people. To, and then 2 minutes before the game starts, they say, oh, he not benched. The other dude benched. Like, What's going on, man? They uh, they look first of all, every let me say this if they don't get their act together, every team in the West is going to be thirsty, fighting to play them. They're currently the fifth seed in the standings, too. Currently the fifth seed in the standings with uh, 
Houston above them. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, they're actually because they've been losing. They're actually sixth in the standings. Oklahoma City's taking them for that. Right. Oklahoma City's fifth. Houston is fourth. The Clippers are third, and the Nuggets are second. Yeah. With the Lakers currently remaining at the top spot in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how the playoff seating is looking looking like it. How how it it's possibly going to play out. Doc Rivers is a really smart guy. He's right on that three slash two seed line, mm-hmm. and everybody's wondering when he's going to finally fill the healthy roster to see if in these closing 22, 21 so-odd games that they have left, if they're going to rip off some quality wins to, you know, get themselves fully initiated and integrated with all the new players that they added. They just added Reggie Jackson. They just added Marquise Morris. Um, But honestly, all they really need to do is hold serve and stay right where they are at that third position. It puts them in an opportunity to not have to see the Los Angeles Lakers until the West Conference Finals. And based on how the seedings are playing out, they're going to miss the one team that I feel would really give them a headache in a seven-game series, which is the Houston Rockets. So Mm -hmm. kudos to the Clippers because in all their, ah, man, this, that, and the third, they're not going to be ready. They look like they're putting themselves in a position to at least be able to advance and get themselves to be comfortable by the time the games and, you know, the money is on the line. So, mm-hmm. for all, and, and if it's up, if the see if this playoff started today, they would play Utah who is in total dysfunction and they're in dysfunction for not having like some of the players on the team, like Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. he's still putting his numbers up. And you even got a cat like Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson, who's, putting up some decent numbers, but everybody else is so erratic that they're trying to figure out how to change the roster, not change the roster. I mean, they, they can't, they from, can't compete okay, right from, now. But from an analytical perspective, what, what, what's the C grand take on what he sees from the from, um, from Utah? Did you watch the game? The last game they played at Utah versus, I forgot who they played, lost, but um, they I lost definitely to had Boston. to watch the game. Yeah, I had Utah and Boston. They got blown out by uh, Phoenix. They That's got, the game before, but let's yeah. just focus on let's focus on the Boston game, and let me go ahead and give the um the precursor for the people out there who may not be aware of what was going on prior to the Boston game. So hours before the Boston game, I would say maybe one o'clock Eastern time, mm-hmm. you popped up on my line and you sent me a screenshot of them announcing. Now I'm not saying that the Jazz announced it, but someone announced from the Jazz organization that Mike Conley would be benched. And mm-hmm. I replied, there's some things going awry in Utah that... Matter of fact, no, that was almost 4 o'clock p.m. 4 o'clock p.m. Okay. So even so, better. That's what I'm saying. That's so that even makes closer, the, closer that to the game story, time. That makes the story even... Well, again, they played in Utah, so that mountain time is oh, different. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's so, different. Yeah, yeah. so it was probably like, if it's 4 o'clock our time, then it's probably 1 p.m., 2 p.m., yeah. the latest there. Exactly. So, anyway, to, to make a short story short, Tur, hours later, it's announced, no, Mike Conley's not being benched. It's actually Joe Ingles who's going to be moved to the bench. Mm-hmm. Tip-off occurs. Boston versus the Jazz begins play, and the starting five is Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, 
Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. Uh, uh, Gobert. And Rodmanovich. Yeah. So, yep. it appears as if the last report that came out was the accurate one and that Joe Ingles had been moved to the bench. Now, when we examine the logic of Mike Conley getting moved to the bench from a statistical and an analytical perspective, it made sense. Mm-hmm. Mike Conley wasn't active when the Jazz had that win streak. Yep. And when he has been healthy and able to play, he's having statistically one of the worst seasons he's had as a pro in the NBA. Absolutely. As a, it's, one of the, it's definitely the worst season he's ever had as a starter. And it's on par with the seasons that he had when he was a non-starter his first two seasons in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Typically, when a guy who is a perennial mid-40% shooter who doesn't take a lot of threes, scores within the painted area, but not necessarily layups because Mike Conley is a Florida king. Mm-hmm. When a guy's percentage drops at the level his is dropping, his is dropped beyond five percentage points. Mm-hmm. overall for the season in comparison to his last healthy season, mm-hmm. it tends to point out that that guy is not comfortable with what's going on, what he's doing in the offense, the shots that he's getting, and his level of confidence in taking those shots. Now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. we don't have VR tracker subscriptions, so we can't pull shot charts. We have to kind of like wait, and that usually means that we get access to shot charts like a week or two after the period we want to examine. Like, I recently wanted to pull Russell Westbrook's shot chart during this strategic change that they've made, and I can't get it off of Google, but I know it's out there, but I'm just not about to be a premium member of whatever website is going to make that available. And it's probably VR Sports because that's where all of the really intricate advanced NBA data is being kept now. But to make a long story short, I would gamble that the shot quality that he has is comparable to what he's always had because Mike Conley is not a guy who's going to just all of a sudden start jacking shots from places that you never seen him take them before. I just think that this is preeminent proof that if you're not comfortable, it doesn't even matter if you're used to taking that shot a thousand times, a million times, or however many times you take it in your career, your discomfort is going to affect your accuracy. And I think that's what Mike Conley is going through. And I think the problem is from my perspective, there's something seriously misfiring between what Coach Quinn Snyder wants to do and what the Utah Jazz front office wants to do with the same personnel. Mm-hmm. So to conclude last season, um, obviously they, they had an overhaul. Ricky Rubio winds up going to, to Phoenix. They trade for Mike Conley. Mm-hmm. Um, who did they move off of? Wasn't Jay Crowder a part of last year's? Utah roster. I, I, I'm not even mm-hmm. remembering all of the key guys. Yeah, but they, they picked up. They picked up Bogdanovich, which right. Most people, Bogdanovich was a was a free, free agent pickup yep. from the Pacers, mm-hmm. who obviously knew he was due for a payday, and they didn't want to be on the hook for it because of the young core that they have. They felt like they could replenish their cupboard in a different direction. Yeah. So they went the Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. Warren trade, those type of things to to. And especially knowing that they had Victor Oladipo down, they knew that they needed wing scoring. So they went and applied their money to ensure that they shored up their wing scoring by getting not only Malcolm Brogdon, but they also went and got um, Deron Lamb mm-hmm. or whatever his name is. Is it Deron? I don't know his first name, but um, Lamb who went to UConn. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, point being back to Utah. Jeremy so Lamb. Jeremy Lamb. So they fielded Utah's fielding a roster with new players in key positions. They went from a team that had Derek Favors, who was more of a power four than a small ball four, which is what Rob Monovich is, and basically said, you know what, we're going to eliminate crashing defensive boards beyond Rudy Gobert so that we could be a pace and space team. That's what you say when you decide that you're going to pay Rob Monovich the money that you're going to pay him to come and be a part of your team. And in exchange, you're going to allow Derek Favors as a free agent to go and sign with the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm -hmm. You're saying that front court interior bulk is not your concern because Rob Monovich has never had a double digit rebound this season. He's not known for his defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding for that matter. He's known for, hey, that was the guy who gave LeBron fits when he played in Cleveland and he can hit a three. He's summarily done that. Romanovich has lived up to his billing. He's already got two buzzer-beating shots. And I think they mm-hmm. one was against uh, Houston recently, and yep. they had one really early in the season that I used for audio on our intro. Yeah. But to make a long story short, Romanovich seems to have lived up to his billing, what you could expect for him to do. He delivered on his expectations as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I can't pull the stats to say. And then, again, considering that he came from Indiana – I don't really think holding his stats to his chest is really going to be fair to him anyway, because Indiana was a much more or is almost equivalent to Utah. And they're much more of a economical everybody eats, but I'm not high on the pecking order. So my, my, my plate isn't going to be crazy. His numbers went up because Oladipo was hurt. It's just the reality of what it is. You're going to get more opportunities when the best player on your team is not available. Victor Oladipo had a season engine injury mm-hmm. comes to Utah. He does what, his skills support that he should be able to do. And along with him is Mike Conley. Now, Mike Conley wasn't healthy when the season started. So that has to be accounted for. Utah is a different community, a whole different type of environment for an athlete to adjust to. Some, some athletes go there and they love it and never leave. You know, Carl Malone actually didn't want to leave Utah, but he wanted that ring. So he did what he had to do or what he felt he needed to do. when he went to Los Angeles. Things didn't work out for him, but obviously he's a Utah jazz player for life. There are plenty mm-hmm. of players who go to cities where you don't think it's a match made of heaven, but it winds up being that for that player in the city. Mm-hmm. And, and the story goes on. Yeah. I think Quinn Snyder runs an offense that requires ball handlers but not necessarily point guards for it to be effective. And since, yes. and since Conley hasn't been healthy, Donovan Mitchell, who has always been the second or third ball handler on the team, mm-hmm. has moved into the primary ball handler position with Joe Ingles still keeping his secondary ball handler role, which is what he had when Ricky Rubio was there on the floor, so on and so forth. So a set-the-table point guard does not seem to suit the offense that Quinn Snyder wants to run or the Utah Jazz front office wants to field. So yeah. somewhere in the line, they don't seem to be on the same page because you let Ricky Rubio go, a set-the-table point guard, and you replace him with who? Mike Conley, who is a set-the-table point guard. So I just feel like until the front office and the coaching staff are uniform on what exactly it is they want to do as a team, there's going to be some 
chaotic friction going on in Utah, and that's what we're seeing. I've been telling you, without mentioning it on the podcast, Donovan Mitchell needs to embrace becoming a full-time point guard. In this era of being a point guard, it's okay to not average double-digit assists. It's okay to not even average five assists. Ask Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. He's gotten away with that on multiple seasons. There are guys out there who get to bring up the ball, do a lot of the playmaking, but the responsibility of helping other people score is not a part of their point guard duties. Donovan Mitchell is a natural scorer. He's only getting better as a scorer, but because of his capacity to manipulate the pick and roll and make good decisions and the fact that he's aggressive and gets to the foul line and because of his wingspan allows him to be able to keep up with two guards on defense, he is already primed to be an upper-level point guard because his intangibles account for everything. He's not slow. He plays good defense. Mm-hmm. He's an above-average ball handler. Well, you know what? I pause on that because you pointed out that he don't really be going left. So, But what he does, he does – I mean, he's very quick with um... – Going, going with the left, one or two dribbles and switching right back to the right, you know, utilizing footwork. I mean, but, but to point out your wingspan, it is crazy. His wingspan is like six feet, 10 inches, mm-hmm. which is, that's crazy. What you think, it's almost seven feet long across. So with that with that type of link, uh, arm length defensively, but also offensive, the way he dribbles, he's able to get past you because he's using that speed. And it's, like I said, one dribble back to your right hand, you're, you're able to get by, you know what I mean? And, and what good and, and like you said or like I said previously on the last podcast in this era of screen make a move the guy gets to rescreen for you it's almost like you don't need another hand you just like you said how you angle your body is going to predicate where the angle is going to open up to and if you turn a defender a certain way it doesn't matter what hand you're dribbling with because with all of these new era rules with gathering and all this other stuff I'm pretty sure we're going to have a one-armed NBA player at this point because what's the point to need another hand when <laughs> Listen, I mean if you ever watch some of these guys play you see that they're not they're not, their strengths is not being able to dribble with that other opposite hand the weak hand literally is a weak hand but the way they, like you said the way the game is played, the way footwork and angles and picks and the fact that you're able to, the spacing because the reality is you know, and I know, sometimes when you play somebody, and some of these teams, you don't play the same team twice in a row, you see guys, you could, with the, the spacing of the floor, you could do a little hesitation or a little in and out move and stay with the same hand and get past a person, mm-hmm. you know? And nowadays, with guys wanting to get past you and even go to drive to the basket in, in Euro or do a, a one dribble pull up or a sidestep pull up. Or. I, or put people on their hip, which has become the new thing in the NBA. Yeah. You get around a pick and you intentionally carry the guy on one of your hips so that he's stuck in a, you know, he's stuck in the blender. Do I foul this guy? Because if I jump to contest, it's an automatic foul. Mm-hmm. How do I stay with him? The moment that he jumps in the air, I got to back away. So that's the new era of self-defense that the offensive ball handler has. But I didn't mean to, to take away your point. Keep going with what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. But what basically that is is, when do I ever really have to use my offhand? You know what I mean? Because everything is, is dominant to get past. If I have a little bit of speed and a, just a in-and-out crossover or something, boom, I'm already into my shot. 
or I'm or I'm using that pick and I'm coming off the pick pretty much shoulder to shoulder that like you said, if a guy if I stop short, which a lot of guys do sometimes, depending on how the defender's playing them, if the defender's aggressive, they'll stop short. And as soon as the defender tries to get over the pick, he's now following you into the shot. Mm-hmm. You know, so and and also the way guys shoot now, it's all about how you land and you can't bump them. You have to let them land cleanly. You're getting foul calls like that. So, yeah, he's going to be able, not just Donovan Mitchell, but a lot of players are, are going to be able to get away with having to have that offhand, whether it's their left hand or right hand, their non-dominant hand, they'll be able to get by with that. And, 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 and speaking, because like I said, this is going to be a hot take thing. Continue what you're saying, and I'm going to jump based off of what you said. You'll see why. But, yeah, so so you're always going to be masked. And, again, the elite players will be able to do both. But the reality nowadays in the NBA, I, they're not necessarily having the elite talent. They have You're an elite in a certain area. You might be a, an elite 3 and D guy. You might just be, um, you know, you might just be a guy that can just handle offense or be a good locker room guy. But there's no – the superstars, they can go with both hands. I mean, it's rare that you have a superstar that can't go left and right. And the guy who is proven that he can go left and right at an elite level – who didn't necessarily or wasn't always demonstrating that is a young Jason Tatum. But before we get to him, mm-hmm. oh man, I lost the point. And it was a good one too. What was you rewind the tape back? What were you talking about? We're talking right? about the ball handling and the fact that guys are able to get away with that because they're not asking they're not asking guys to be superstars. It's asking guys to just be certain roles. Three and D guy. That's it. You know, hit the corner, be a corner shooter. I don't need you to dribble. I just yeah, there's you. a lot more specialists now than there ever was in the NBA before. You know, a lot of guys definitely are able to stake out a career and being elite at maybe one or two skills, whereas before you had to be at least on par with the rest of the league in seven or eight categories and then ex- exhibit elite skills in, in three or four to really be a true star. Um I can't remember the point that I had, but I definitely wanted to take the time out to commend somebody like Jason Tatum, who has definitely shown a major leap in development from mm-hmm. year two to year three. Um, there have been a number of different theories as to why, you know, the basic mm-hmm. sports fan will tell you, well, he don't play with Kyrie anymore. And although that, that statement is valid and you can't really take any validity away from an observer who says that, well, look, Kyrie's gone. He's playing better. I think there's more to it, and I think it has a lot to do with Brad Stevens being able to fully implement the type of offense that he he usually had prior to Kyrie's arrival, mm-hmm. because he had a real he had a real um, point guard favorable offense when he had Isaiah Thomas there. So the moment that Kyrie came into town, I thought, oh well, he'll just run most of. Um, most of the Isaiah sets because they allow little guys to score. Kyrie's a little guy. But mm-hmm. it turns out that the spots on the court that, that Kyrie liked the ball weren't really a part of the system that Brad Stevens developed. So they had to port over a lot of Kyrie's favorite sets. And this is honestly something that I've noticed happened in Brooklyn too. So basically Kyrie has brought his playbook wherever he's gone since he's left Cleveland to ensure that he's comfortable. Whereas you have great players or players who are equivalent as far as all-star status and ability to lead a team 
who go into a system and they buy into what the coach presents and there there seems to be some like harmony or or, or synchronization and how the offense develops and I think that's what we witnessed with Boston because I didn't even know that Daniel Thies was only 6'8". Did you know he was only 6'8"? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Actually, it's funny you said that. I heard that, uh, I think it was last week, uh, because he, he was starting to take over the starting. So they were in a sense, they were in, in essentially playing like a small boss lineup like Houston. They just weren't getting the credit. Not, yeah, not just, well, also, they don't have two MVPs that, two former MVPs where in the system, you know, the, and the reality is Boston, they do, even though they play a but yeah, you now I think about it. This small ball lineup, everybody's about the same height, except for Kimba. Kimba is the shortest guy on the team, and then the tallest guy is Daniel Thies, and he's the same height as Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And they just now made Jalen Brown six six or six seven, when I think as a rookie with the high top fade, he was you know he was six eight. So mm-hmm. and he's long, pause. Mm-hmm. But he's he's got a wingspan on him. I mean, when you jump chest to chest with LeBron, and then you cock it back and you're above his head you've got a wingspan so yeah. um but i think also what it's funny you said about jason tatum i saw on uh, a lot of the media outlets right now especially espn was talking about how the top players under i think it was what 21 you know how they had jason tatum pretty high up there. a lot of the a lot of the reporters had him their top three between him zion and luca um but the he's fact still that under 21 Jason Tatum's only twenty one. He doesn't. He doesn't turn twenty two. Actually, actually. Oh shoot! Matter of fact, um, his birthday's next week. Jason Tatum. I, but no, I also got to shout out Luca, whose birthday is February twenty eighth. Who is also my brother's birthday too. So yeah, shout out to both of them. Wait, it's my birthday too, February twenty eighth. I know. Let's when see. you said it, I didn't put the date together, but. Yeah, man, it's it's a it's a lit day for y'all, man. Happy yeah, birthday to so all y'all in advance. No wonder I like Luca. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think but... I think people who don't like Luca like Luca. Like it's hard not to like him. The only thing you can really get at him for is because you know he gets a little he gets a little. But it's all the new era kids. But he don't play it. defense, so yes, he's all not right, like. Fine. But I mean, again, do, let me say this: with going back to the Boston situation. A lot of times with Boston, those guys grew up in the playoffs. I mean, you got to figure those guys have a lot of playoff experience in such a young young age, you know? I mean, Tatum is just getting into his third season, and he's already been to the conference finals. You yeah, know? as a rookie. As a rookie. So Without Kyrie. Without Kyrie, and they had to step up so that. And then also, most players, when you get to a certain point the following year, the fans, not only fans, but management and media – put the pressure on, well, you were this good the last time I saw you. Now you got to be better than that. And sometimes guys get into that that funk of not being able to deliver because it's like, yo, you're trying to adapt because like you said, Isaiah Thomas is gone or Jason, I mean, Kyrie Irving's not playing. Now you have to throw Kyrie back in and Kyrie has his own demands. And But you're trying to be the man too and it's that friction because Again, you say Kyrie's not the type of point guard that is going to get the high in the assist usage. And he's also not going to be the type of person. Jason Tatum's also not the type of person that can just stand in the corner and shoot threes. He's the type of person that needs the ball, needs to be able to create his shots. And Mm -hmm. I think last year he was getting into that rut of 
well, I need, you know, four or five shots to get going. I can't get two shots here, one shot there, three shots here. Two, like, I need to be in a better rhythm. And, and he think- was also taking a plethora of long twos. Mm-hmm. And he's since been able to, with them removing Kyrie from the situation, because I think that's another spacing issue, he's been able to take more threes. And he's been able to take shots closer to the rim, which the analytics movement is harping on everybody to do. And now his mid-range game is deadly because he only has to take those shots when he wants to. Whereas, mm-hmm. like you were saying before, I need to get these three, four shots up. So it's, you know, 21 seconds in the shot clock left. We just got the ball across half court. I touched the ball. I know that the play is supposed to go this way, but let me just go ahead and get the shot. If I make it, then all's good. And we just go back down the court. And I got my rhythm. When mm-hmm. he wasn't making those shots... And then on top of that, once Kyrie see you do that, you know what he's going to do the next trip down. five trips down. So with that being said, I can definitely understand how, you know, those players, all of them, including Gordon Hayward, didn't really get to get comfortable with what they had on the floor. And they fizzled out early because there was never a level of uniform trust in what we're going to do as a team. I think they all knew how good Kyrie was. I think they all respected that. I mean, the guy walked in with a ring. So... You can't really take that away from him. The guy hit the shot for the chip. You mm-hmm. definitely can't take that away from him. He went toe-to-toe with arguably the best player in the world at the time in Stephen Curry and came out a, a victor. So his accolades definitely allow him to warrant the other players, the younger players, even with their success without him, understanding like, yo, this is the guy. We got to let him do him. And, mm-hmm. if, and if things don't work out, hey, at least we're not going to get blamed for it. And if you look at it, everybody on that Boston roster came out unscathed. Well, I think also that was, the tricky part about that is Tatum trying to step into a larger role with Kyrie now being in a mix. But also Haywood was coming off of that injury where he still wasn't in rhythm also. So he's trying to overdo it. So you had a lot of guys trying to overdo things where it was causing a lot of friction. So not to necessarily blame Kyrie because I don't want to necessarily always put that cloud over somebody's head like that. I mean, a lot of stuff about Kyrie might be warranted, but not everything. So agree. There, there are times where guys are trying to get their own thing because remember, there was a time where people were talking about how Gordon Hayward, why is he even starting? You know what I mean? Because yeah. like you said, and that's, that's the friction also with Jalen Brown because then Jalen Brown is now figuring out, yo, I'm supposed to be the man too. Everybody else getting the light. What about me? So now he's forcing issues, and that's when you got guys not really saying, you know what, let's all take a step back and see what's going on, and then let's figure it out that way, as opposed to just saying, all right, we'll just try to figure it out on the fly, and it don't work like that, especially when you have to maintain a certain level. It's different if you are surprising people, but the year before, they were the surprise. So now everybody expects them to do something more. And then yeah. that, that's, a whole different, that's a whole different lens you're being looked at. You know, mm-hmm. when you can, it's easy to sneak up on somebody and, and get them with the element of surprise. But when they know you're coming, how do you game plan for that? And I think Boston, that's what that's what affected them last year. Now, I think this year with Kimba, totally different thing, but also guys are totally different, different spaces. Gordon Haywood is another season healthier. Jason Tatum has another season of understanding what he's supposed to be. The fact that they were at Team USA, Kimba Walker, uh, Tatum Brown, even Marcus Smart. Time and and, let's, just, time and let's just be real. Kemba spent six years. I know he spent more years in Charlotte than that, but he spent at least six of those years averaging between 23 and 28 points a game. Mm-hmm. He don't want to keep doing that as a five foot 11, six foot guard. 
He knows the toll that that's going to take on him. He was one of the best paint scorers in the league. It was him and Kyrie at guys at that height who were capable of getting to the basket and still making really tough contested shots around the rim. That takes out wear, wear and tear on you. That that, and he had to play through it in Charlotte. He didn't mm-hmm. play. He he didn't not play a lot in Charlotte. He's had the luxury, and this has been a very good thing on Boston's part. And they've been managing his health. I mean, he had the concussion issue where he ran into I forgot whose chest, but one of the the um, Boston guys' chest. I think it was Ojale's chest, and you know he came up limp because his neck jammed, and he had a concussion. Oh, and then yeah, he's had, yeah, yeah. he's had, he's had, you know, knee ailments and minor things over the, but they've been able to, unlike what he would deal with in Charlotte, where he was playing through all those types of things. Now they're mm-hmm. able to say, nah, go ahead, take these games off. We're still, you know, number two, number three in the East. And we still got plenty of firepower and we still got enough people who need the basketball that we can function without you. And they've mm-hmm. proven it. So I think yeah. Boston's in a very good place as they, position themselves for playoff seating. Toronto has kind of cooled down, so they're making the race for the second seed in the East very interesting. Yeah. Um, I, Absolutely. I, I said well, also, I wanted... one, one quick thing with, with Kimba, the thing about it is when you are a good locker room guy, you're helping guys' confidence. That goes a long way because when you get to that, ele- that level, confidence is key. I mean, heck, anybody playing basketball – with confidence, you could do a lot more than when if you don't have confidence. And I think when you got a guy that's coming over as, yo, I'm an all-star, multiple time all-star, I'm coming to the same addict. But when he's preaching life into you, helping you get that that confidence, that goes a long way. Cause then now you say, you know, I can't you, you feel like you're fighting for a bigger purpose. Agree, agree. And I think that you see I think you see a level of unity in Boston that we hadn't seen for that prior season and even the season where they were able to advance without Kyrie, that unity wasn't evident with Kyrie on the court. That's the, that's the penultimate mm-hmm. point that I'm, 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 you know, going at, but again, not trying to denigrate Kyrie or make him out to be the bad guy. Because again, I just think that that was a situation where you had a superstar come to a team and you had a coach who had never dealt with a true superstar in Brad Stevens. You know, he built a superstar in Isaiah Thomas, but they all knew, or they all were able to conduct themselves knowing that yo, you're only a superstar because we're giving you the green light of all green lights in like basketball history, which is what he had when he was in Boston. So it's a different level of superstar expectations that they had for Kyrie versus what they had for what they were building when they had a healthy Isaiah Thomas there. So again, when he gets there, he's expecting one thing. Brad Stevens is thinking that it's going to be a buy in the culture. He just wants to be a part of what we got going and, you know, those those heads clash. And again, the Boston climate is not an easy one for every athlete to navigate. So I think with all things considered, Kyrie wanted to go somewhere where at least he knew location wise he would be happy. And it appears that he's at least got that going for him. He's mm-hmm. experiencing, you know, season in the surgery. I hope that he comes back strong because I'm definitely looking forward to um, what him and Kevin Durant are going to bring to the table. If not for the basketball the theater of it all is definitely going to be entertaining. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely prepared to tune in for that come next season. And I hope that they're definitely able to be on the court and have a nice strong season so that we all can, can see that, you know, things are developing in Brooklyn. Um, as we continue to jump around the league, um, I what? wanted to confront something, but go ahead. You okay. No, no. I, I was just going to say, um, what's up with Bradley Beal with the fact that uh, he had the back-to-back 50-point games and in the third game, 
back-to-back 50-point games that they actually lost. The third game, he had 30, but he also said he, – he made a funny comment saying that the um, – even in the um, because he was he was looking at the fact that he was you know Brooklyn who they he only had thirty points against but they were running a box and one against him they were running a different other plays to make sure that and guys would tell him hey you ain't we making sure you don't get fifty tonight mm-hmm. so but he said the funny thing about it was the NBA didn't want to get him to get fifty either because they tried to they 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 uh, drug tested him you know so they they were just saying one of those random drug tests but as soon as he had back to back fifty point nights he is a random drug test. Yeah, I thought that was quite kind of funny. But speaking of drug tests in the NBA, Malik Monk, whatever you got going, I hope you're able to get that sorted out. You're now suspended indefinitely for well, that's not, not complying look. to the NBA drug test protocol. And for you to have gone through the struggles that you did in Charlotte with one point Michael Jordan damn near giving you a noogie on national TV for you making a knucklehead move. And now mm-hmm. in the height of, you know, your best play as a Charlotte Hornet, you're you're averaging 18 a game. The NBA decides they need to suspend you because you haven't complied with the policy. So hopefully that situation sorts itself out. You're able to get yourself back on the court. Charlotte obviously is not contending for a playoff spot, but they have injected a lot of positivity into their fan base with the ascension of 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 Graham, and mm-hmm. and they also have the um, rising stars MVP and Miles Bridges and. <clears throat> They also they they've got quite a few Young intriguing pieces. parts that could be you know it, it could it could be the start of something good for them if they're able to get the right combination of players along with what they already have in tow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely because again I'm I'm a Malik Monk supporter a fan I liked him in college yeah I yeah, yeah. That I, I definitely thought that he would be at a different level in the NBA than where he currently is but. You know, it takes certain players, God knows how many times, games, years, to finally adjust and, and get it all together. We never know what's truly going on in these people's lives on a personal level, and sometimes that just affects what you're able to do out there on the court. So, Malik, I wish you nothing but the best. And, you know, from Views from Clutch, we hope you're able to, to get yourself back out there on the court and be compliant with whatever the NBA needs you to do. Um, jumping around the league to other hot topics, um, Damn, what was it? What was it? I want to talk about. Oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bring the Lakers into this, and we're not going to bring the Knicks. We'll do those last. We got another 20 minutes to work with, so we'll wait till we're in the like last five, 10 minutes to even bring those guys to the table. Um, Denver looks like they're going to be stable and hold that second seed. Uh, I still don't trust them. I still don't. Trust I don't them. trust them in the playoffs. No, I'm talking about I don't even trust them to hold that second seed because they are only one game or what they're only ahead by the Clippers by one game. And then also they're two games out from Houston, uh from you know, two games ahead of Houston. So and the way Houston is starting to click on cylinders, I could easily see Denver slipping out of that that second seed. I mean they're 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 one game ahead of the Clippers for third place, but only two games ahead of the Rockets for fourth place. So, Can we be I, honest and, and admit right now that nobody wants to see Houston get up to the second seed just, just from a strategic oh, standpoint? No Yo, Houston, yeah, so Houston we do have you really want Houston to have home court advantage for the first two rounds of the playoffs? Do Yo. you really want to deal with playing five-out basketball in Houston four times? 
Listen, I'm listen. I'm I'm making every phone call I possibly know. If Houston makes it to the number two seed, and these dudes got the nerve to go to the Eastern Conference, I mean Western Conference Finals, they are gonna they are gonna be a serious problem. Listen, they start clicking the, they continue to click the way they they're starting to figure it out now. They're gonna be a an extreme problem for everybody because let's examine how they've Westbrook is on a tear. That's historical for like the fifth season in a row. He's always doing something historical every year. He has manifested himself to be one of the best paint scorers in the league as a point guard. Mm -hmm. He has pretty much been given the green light to abandon taking threes under any condition other than the fact that he wants to take them. Because yeah. they've opened the floor with the other four shooters, Harden and whatever those other three guys are going to be named that night because they added two guys and they've been slotting them in and out. Covington has been a revelation since he's come to Houston. Oh, but yeah. They, they were clicking before Covington and, and Jeff Green even got there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Look at the, Jeff Green. That's what I wanted to jump knife. on. That's what I wanted to jump on. This is the hot take that we only need to spend a minute or so on. Is, are the Grizzlies going to be able to hold the AFC? Yes or no? If you had to say right now, is is are the Grizzlies going to the playoffs? What's your answer? Man, son, I didn't want to answer this just yet, but um Okay, the climate Grizzly, right now. So basically the Grizzlies today, are on the field, basically. That's what basically what the question. You know what I'm saying? Uh they are currently a game and a half in front no, two two and a half games in front of Portland. Uh, and how many in front of New Orleans? New Orleans took they're actually off, three. So they're, they're actually they're three, three. A solid three. Yeah. But the thing about it is Memphis has lost four straight. The uh, Pelicans have lost one. And they said that the 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 Grizzlies have the toughest uh, schedule, remaining schedule in the yeah. league. Remaining. And, and the Pelicans have the, have the easiest. And Portland, I don't know where Portland's at in that, but Portland right now is in a dog fight because they are playing Indiana and mm. every game that Portland plays without Damian Lillard is just luck if they happen to win. It's not to say that their roster isn't good enough for them to get wins without Damian Lillard, but it's just he brings so much continuity to the table and he's such an automatic check-the-box type of guy that losing him, it's really difficult to sustain not having him available on the court. So I've mm-hmm. kind of conceded that Portland can still continue to contest for the AFC, but I feel like if New Orleans' last tough game was the Lakers, I don't know the rest of their schedule, but if they don't really Come have another, if they don't have a team on the caliber of the Lakers remaining on their schedule, I'm thinking that they might be our AFC. And you know the NBA loves storylines, so if you got a first round. With Zion and LeBron, you've got ratings. Not just that. Okay, they do play. They do play the Lakers. Actually, they play Cleveland tomorrow. Then when? On, huh? When? When? February twenty eighth. They'll be Cleveland. Cleveland's tanking. Yeah. Well, then they follow on Sunday, March first, against the Lakers at home versus the Lakers. That's actually televised on ESPN. I'll probably watch that game. Yeah, we definitely um, watch that. Um, and beyond the Lakers, what's the toughest? What's the, the toughest feature game you see for them? Toughest game after the Lakers on March first. Uh, well, they got about actually. I'm I'm looking at it. They only got about 
three games. Well, yeah, maybe. Well, in the next couple, next two, week, next two weeks, they got three games. Uh, they have after the Lakers game. Uh, next week they have on a Wednesday they got they're at Dallas, and then on a Friday they're at home versus Miami. So, um, so Dallas gets to so Porzingis gets to find out what it's like to guard a, a man child. Jesus Christ! No, Willie Cauley Stein is. Because <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna save Pazingas. They're not putting Pazingas out there to be no man. I mean, Pazingas is a good weak side help blocker, but he's not gonna want to jump with Pazingas. I mean, he's not gonna jump with Zion. So, like I said, not for um, thirty five minutes a game. Definitely not. Nah. He's definitely not running up and down the court with him. No so way. not even. Not even close. But then they play at the middle of the month. The middle of but wait, March, but wait, but wait, but wait. Clippers. Before we even, before we go to that, just mentally imagine. Zion beelining it down the court, first guy down in transition. Porzingis is trailing him. He's you know close enough to him to be able to defend him. And Zion decides he wants to post Porzingis ass up. Yo, yo, son, you ever seen somebody knock down a bamboo tree? That's what he's gonna do, son. He's gonna knock his. Yo, there's a video I gotta send you. It's kind of, I mean, the language is kind of graphic, but it's like Zion as the Hulk, and it's oh, got Lord. all his highlights of him versus I forgot what team they played, but you know, every every other game, Zion gets into a scuffle where like he misses an easy shot, the defender mm-hmm. gets the rebound, and then Zion yeah. just, <laughs> just Straight. baby fools the next dude, man. Just, no, no, he literally after that defender takes the rebound, Zion is so mad he missed the shot. He looks at the guy who got the ball, he's like. Yo, son, you pussy. And he just rips it from him and then goes back up. Yo, son, I got to find that clip for you. It is nothing but – it's a tearjerker funny, son. It Yo, had me down. Because it's like, Zion smash. Arr, give me the ball. Arr, get off me. And one. Yo, yeah. that's the Hulk voice. Yo, it is so hilarious, I, man. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, that dude is, like I said, he's straight out there and the people that don't re- I mean, we have to make a baby food segment on a podcast you're the so. all baby food starting five something because yo he be taking cats yo he be taking grown man he yo, yo he, he be taking he be taking nba players kids christmas yo, gifts the words huh? he is the straight remember the gooch from the, the, the invisible bully, man. Yo, man, if the gooch is real, baby, that dude's straight. Yo, he's snatching the ball from them dudes, and them dudes be looking like, like, they be looking for a timeout. Like, <laughs> they be looking, the, they be looking the like Deontay Wilder out there. Oh, no, man, damn, that's crazy, son. They really, yo, that dude straight. How you punk grown men, yo? This is grown men with families, with kids. They be watching. Yo, there was a couple times out there where it looked like Anthony Davis was was like really trying to tell the refs, yo, you gotta get him off me. <laughs> yo, was... Words, uh, get this man, man. Oh, please. I'll yo, I'll give yo I'll give you that um yeah, under the table money, son. Call foul, please. Yeah, Help. like get him off me. But yeah, yeah. I mean, other than that though, to be honest with their with the Pelicans remaining schedule. They do play. They do play Memphis twice at the end of March, so that could be, uh, those could be pivotal games because I'm looking at their schedule and I'm like, yo, the NBA really trying to hook them up. They do finish the season at San, San Antonio. They play. They still have to play San Antonio twice, but I'm looking at their games. I mean, I'm like, yo, this is crazy. 
Actually, they play the Knicks at the end of March, son. I might try to go to that game, maybe. I don't know, son. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I just sent it to you. So when you get opportunity to check it out, you it's yes, worth sir. the laugh. Is I'm telling you, because it's it's with the live game action. It's a voiceover. Oh, so, that's crazy. Oh man, son, you, you're not gonna be ready for that laugh. You might you might have to go. You might have to stay in the man cave because they're gonna be like, well, "What's daddy laughing about for so long?" Because yeah. <laughs> I was dead crying for like a good ten minutes. I watched it like three times in a row. Um, that's fire. You know what happened, and we didn't even get a chance to think about it, or has it happened yet? The uh, can you pull us up? When is the Indiana and Miami Heat rematch? Because Miami has been having a tough go at it with all of these under five hundred teams and losing. So, um, I actually, want... fun, funny you said that. I think it's actually I want to say it's, it's a March tomorrow. game. It's a March I'm a, game. I'm about to look it up right now. Hold on, I think it's the March. Jimmy Butler circle circle. I want to say it's the twentieth. Uh, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, March twentieth, Friday, March twentieth. Okay. So it's, a, it's about a little less than a couple. It's a couple of weeks away, like three, four, three weeks away. Mm-hmm. So they still got some time to um, write the ship, and yeah, everybody's was... everybody's in a good. Um, everybody seems to be in a good health position, except for the team that we've tried to avoid speaking too harshly about, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. I didn't get a chance to share with you audio that came from a Philadelphia sports radio show. But they basically did a parody, and somebody can mimic Joel Embiid's voice down to a science. And I don't know if you remember that classic song, I'm a believer. But they took that song using Embiid's voice and said, I'm an underachiever. Wow. I'm overweight. Yeah. And they dropped that the day after he scored 49 points. So (laughs) Philadelphia is closing the walls in on their two young superstars and the climate that they have going on in that city. I just want to spend maybe the next two or three minutes detailing my perspective on it, on what I see mm-hmm. and what I hope can, can come from it. First and foremost, Philadelphia is one of the top three toughest cities to play any sport in. doesn't matter what sport, baseball, mm-hmm. basketball, football, hockey, If you're a Philadelphia pro athlete, their fans are some of the toughest to, they will, they booed Santa Claus. It's, it's, it's historical Mm -hmm. fact. They booed Santa Claus. So it's never going to be a situation where you as a Philadelphia athlete feel like you need to consistently be in their favor. You've got to be able to keep your head down and play your game at all times. But it feels as if the city of Philadelphia is just vacillating back and forth between whether or not they want to run Joel Embiid out of town or they want to lock Ben Simmons up until he starts taking jump shots. And now Ben Simmons is having back issues and he's out of the game. And now Embiid has just gotten hurt and needs an MRI on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And with all of the variable issues that they have, Al Horford has been relegated to the bench. And Coach Brett Brown has said, oh, it's on me to figure this out. I'm worried because I haven't seen Brett Brown really figure out anything in regards to what needs to happen in Philadelphia. The roster has proven to be not properly constructed to support their talents. The assets that they had that most would have served to benefit them have all been traded away. 
Their mm-hmm. best shooters, if you go through them, and I'm not even going to go through them in a statistical order, but Dario Saric got traded along with him. Robert Covington got traded. Those are two above-average three-point shooters who are both good from a spot-up or from the one dribble re- relocate three-point type of shooter. They're three, mm-hmm. three, I'm not going to say three and D because Saric is not really known for his defense. No, no, no. Landry Shamet, who is now a part of the bench mob in Los Angeles, is still mm-hmm. – still one of the, you know, league's premier dead-eye shooters when given opportunity to spot up and get square. Mm-hmm. Along with that, they allowed J.D. Redick to walk, and he went to take his talents to New Orleans. So mm-hmm. those are four, I would say, top 25, 30 percentage-wise three-point shooters in the league that Philadelphia no longer has at their disposal. And if you scan their roster... They didn't I, replace them, any of them with it the highest shooting regular three-point taking guy is Tobias Harris, and he's only at 36%, which is right at league average. When you have two guys who are two of the most dominant paint scorers in the league, it's almost a given that everybody else on the court needs to be able to shoot a three. Exactly. Exactly. And when you've got to find guys like Korkmaz and get them minutes just so that you can space the floor, you're in trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not a knock on Richardson who came over in the, in the Butler swap. He's a good player, mm-hmm. but he's not a beneficial fit because he's a wing guy who hasn't really developed into a, a, a standout shooter. No, definitely not. And when you play with guys like Embiid and Simmons who are going to draw so much attention to the paint, you got to be a dead eye. Mm-hmm. And now Philadelphia is committed – 170 million to Tobias and another 100 and some odd million to Al Horford. And both of those guys, I'm not going to say Tobias don't fit, but along with what they have, he's not so good that he can play to the level of his contract with how that roster is constructed. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just worried. I'm just worried because I feel bad for those two young guys not getting a fair opportunity the entire time they've been together. The media, even we at times have kind of piled on them not being a good fit because of the fact that they both need the ball close to the basket. But we, we've all seemed to give an excuse to their general manager and coach for how they've been deployed. And that mm-hmm. also, I think, is going to come to a head. If Philadelphia flames out, we may see Elton Brand lose his job. Oh yeah, we're think, definitely going to see Brett Brown lose his job. Yeah, I mean, I really think that they will lose the Brett, the coach Brett Brown and Elton Brand will lose their job before they get rid of Simmons and Embiid because they won't have it. They won't have a GM to trade them. So if you fire Elton Brand and, and Brett Brown in the same offseason, now you've got to get a GM and a coach. Yeah. So but, I definitely don't think with the salary that they have committed that they'll have anybody in place who will be able to orchestrate a trade that will bring back Philly what they would deserve for those two, those two type of assets. You're talking about two perennial all-stars who, who haven't even reached their prime. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get a fair return on a situation like that. You have to luck up and, and get a team give you a lottery pick by accident to even hope to get back what you would be losing. Ben Simmons is the number one pick. Joel Embiid, what was he? A, a number three. A number three pick. Mm-hmm. And, and they were they were number one and number three picks in draft that were pretty good. So you, you're going to be hard pressed, especially with the 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 referendum on height that they now have in the NBA. Like it's not really important how tall you are. 
if once you get over that certain height range, if your wingspan surpasses your actual physical height, they're going to find a way to get you out there on the floor. Donovan Mitchell is a perfect example of that. He's 6'3 in sneakers, 6'1 without them, but having a 6'10 wingspan, you can play any position you want in the NBA in the backcourt. Very much. CJ McCollum is a, is a top-tier two-guard. He's only 6'3". Mm-hmm. Victor Oladipo, he's only 6'4". Yeah. I think Brogdon actually looks physically taller than um, Oladipo. That might just be a posture issue, but my, my point is that height isn't really as super important as it once was in the NBA, and I don't think that if you're anything close to elite, it matters where you get drafted if you're tall now. Because mm-hmm. all it's going to boil down to once you get to campus, can you shoot? Yeah, we know you're tall. You, you can rebound. Da, 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 but if we put you out on the three-point line, can you, uh, you know? Consistently hit the shot. And how well can you hedge on the pick and roll? Because we're going to need you to come out and, and slow a guard down. So a lot of those skills that were essential to being a, a, um, a standard duty NBA big man, they no longer exist. I mean, right now we're watching Portland and Indiana and Miles Turner is happily camped out at the top of the three-point line mm-hmm. because he's got to give way to what other facets of his game he has because Sabonis is the better interior player. So, yeah. so now he's got to become a seven-foot spot-up shooter who also happens to be a top-ten shot blocker in the league. So the NBA mm-hmm. is definitely turning, turning inward, for lack of a better way of putting it. And it's interesting to see develop because, like you said, when Houston gets to the playoffs, they, along with what – what was the other team we said is playing small? Boston. Mm-hmm. The further they advance, the more idiotic some of these other teams are going to look. Obviously, you're not going yeah. to fault Milwaukee. You're not going to fault the Lakers. Those guys have elite bigs. So they, they get a pass. But everyone else who's trying to trot out, a, you know, a top tier or what they believe might be a top tier big man, like this – Carl Anthony Towns might be the safest NBA big man because of the fact that he shoots like 40% from three-point land. A lot of these other guys. Oh, yeah, they're going to the be at the end of the bench. And that's what makes the Philadelphia situation even more interesting because we both know Joel and B should not be shooting threes. Yeah, he can make them. If he's wide open and he happens to be out there, he should shoot it. It's a good shot when it's wide open, uncontested, and in the flow of an offense. But mm-hmm. do you want him gunning threes at the rate Carl Anthony Towns does? Definitely not. No. As, as a defense, yes. You're, you're, you're static. But offensively, no. If, you're, if that's my teammate, no. But the sad part about it, like I said before at the beginning of the year, Ben Simmons is not going to take these shots. And he's not even going to keep the defense honest. So when he's a guy that has to get the ball from the free throw line down – to the basket to be effective, it's easy to pay those two guys as, as a defense. You don't really have to worry that much. I, I Again, be- and that goes back to what, what I was saying with the personnel issues. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go back to classic basketball. Joel Embiid's sweet spot as a big is the left block. Mm-hmm. If we're crossing half court and we're in the Philadelphia 76ers offense, Ben Simmons needs to make that first dribble handoff and go to the right side of the court. He probably needs to spot up in the right corner. Now, we all know that defender is not going to follow him out to the corner, but he's going to stay within arm's reach until Embiid shows when he gets the ball in the post that he's got his defender at, you know, at, at a compromised position. 
that allows Ben Simmons to do what Russell Westbrook is doing with James Harden. Wait mm-hmm. for the perfect opportunity, probe into the center of the defense, and allow Embiid to find you if he sees a double team as he turns middle, and you get an easy shot. Yep. The problem is Philadelphia doesn't have someone good enough to give Joel Embiid a post-entry pass besides Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, exactly. So it's this catch-22 with their roster that really is hurting them. Because if you look at their combination and their net rating, those two guys, they're top five since they've been together. Top five net rating offensively and defensively. It's the mm-hmm. components yep. that they've had along with them that bring them down. And again, me taking the time to research and really look it over and then talk to some of my Philadelphia friends who watch, who watch the 76ers with a passion, it's true. It really is true. This really boils down to roster construction and coaching. The issues yeah. that they have. Yeah, and the sad part about it, we don't know if they'll make the adjustments before those two guys are they somebody's putting one of those guys out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? One of those guys being traded, where the reality, like you said, is the culture. Because think about it, even if you have two guys like that, right? I know the way the NBA is all about spacing, but you can buck the system and be guys that run a high low. You know what I mean? Hollow offense. Mm-hmm. And but again, the sad part is you don't have those shooters to keep the rest of the defenders honest. And like you said, that's a general manager putting the, the wrong personnel together, thinking it looks good on paper, but the reality is well, it only look good in your mind on paper. You know what I mean? The fact but if that's the toughest part is you don't have consistent shooting and you don't have a consistent offense that says, you know what? I don't care, hollow every play. You know what I mean? And bead, you get it to free throw line, Simmons, you go down low, vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you punish them like that every time until defenses now have to make the adjustments because look what defenses are now doing with Houston. They have to make the adjustments. Once the Houston started winning and teams see how difficult that is, teams are starting to make those adjustments. And the game but- that they lost, they really shouldn't have. And that was against Utah. Yeah. They had Gobert on skates. They 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 had brought the game close. It was a fourth quarter game, and you know, things just didn't go their way. It was just one of those inopportune things. And then they were still getting to know each other. And this was before they had added Covington and, and Jeff Green. Now that they mm-hmm. got those guys, guys who do actually like to get their hands dirty in the paint, it's really gonna be a problem. It's really going to be a problem. And it's funny that that we just now are really speaking to the fact that Boston went small first. So everybody's harping on Houston mm-hmm. for being innovative, but you know, credit goes out to Brad Stevens for him understanding because we all, we've been saying both of us. I'm not even going to deny that I've said it. I know you said it too. Oh, Boston need a big. Boston need a big. Boston need a big. They lost mm-hmm. Al Horford. They both, nah. After watching them play the Lakers down to the mm-hmm. wire, and then watching them deal with Utah the way they did, who has Rudy Gobert, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Stifle Tower, they're mm-hmm. fine. They're fine. Is Giannis yep. going to give them a problem with his length and all of the other front line of the Milwaukee Bucks? Of course. But they're going to give every team that they play against that same exactly. problem. The reality mm-hmm. is, can Milwaukee stop them for the money? Because what That's, happens when they mm-hmm. run that inverted pick and roll that seems to be able to get our boy Jason Tatum a live dribble on the elbow anytime he wants? Mm-hmm. And that means that he switched on to a lesser defender. So Boston comes down the court. They cross half court. Who's guarding him? Middleton. And then Thies sets that screen. 
Thies is probably being guarded by one of the Lopez brothers. Yeah. So you're going to switch out Brooke or Robin Lopez to guard Jason Tatum with a live dribble? Yeah. Five mm-hmm. fouls. Five fouls. Mm-hmm. Easily. Five fouls. That, that's, that's, you that's might as well call them all food. at once. That's baby food without a post game because that boy Jason Tatum, if he's got you backing up and he's got a live dribble, game over. Just hope he takes a jump shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that's the thing. The thing about Boston, the way they haven't been identified yet as that small ball is Houston said, no, we want all three point shooters. Boston, Thies, is what's his name? Thies or Thies? Yeah, Thies. Thies is not, he'll shoot it, but he's not looking to always shoot it. You and not I mean? even threes, just shooting, period. Yeah. So that's why they're not looking at him as such. Where Houston says, no, we want all three point shooters. And we're spacing the floor. And we got two MVPs that we feel are the two best players in the league, you know, so they can the two best at getting their own shot or creating for others. Boom. Agreed. You know what I mean? And that's what they're doing. Because if you ever notice, Harden the last few games has not taken as many shots mm-hmm. as he normally does. He normally take twenty five to thirty shots. Now he's down he's down like the other night, I think he took like 15. Well, Westbrook had like 22 shots, you know, and the fact that they still won. Um, but it showed you that these guys, they're all in. They played. Hmm? They're all in. They're all in. Yeah, they and, but they in. can still average 30 each, mm-hmm. which is a problem because as a an opposing team, you it's hard to pick your poison because – they're spacing you out, and they're letting their guys that can average 30 or more go for theirs. And their shooters are valid. Yeah. Ben McLemore, ben McLemore has had a career resurgence. We all know the dangers that Eric Gordon brings to the table. He's not going to ever stop being able to be that boy with a gun. Um, Austin mm-hmm. Rivers, he's not really a three-point shooter, but if you let him get hot and if you say something about his dad, he might go off for five or six mm-hmm. threes in a row on you. P.J. Tucker is clearly a top four or five corner three-point shooter in the league. Might wind up being that in league history. The boy shoots something like 54% from the corners, which is mm-hmm. insane. And then if you got two of your guards, just from your guard play getting you 60 points a night, you can get 50 points from, from the else. other everybody shooting threes. So how fast can you hit fifty points by going shooting by going by three? You know what I'm saying? And they're gonna they, the with the last few games they've been taking more three pointers than two pointers. So and their offensive efficiency and that rating have gone through the roof again. And they were a team who improved their offensive rating with Capella because of the yeah. fact that Russell Westbrook, his speed and ability to generate easy baskets is something is almost another historical thing that he does. Russell Westbrook is one of the like all-time greats in point generation currently right now. He generates more points with his presence on the court than almost any other player. Now, uh-huh. he doesn't he doesn't come anywhere near the net value of Giannis and LeBron as far as impact on the court versus off, but yeah. his ability to impact the game for everyone else is historical and, and it's really impossible to ignore at this point. So I definitely hope that all of our, you know, viewers and listeners are tuning in and watching Rockets games when they get an opportunity because you don't want that to be the surprise that you see for the first time in the playoffs because that surprise could 
be gone that quick. And that could be your team that they may go home just because you weren't even prepared to watch what they do. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't had a chance, you know, get yourself a league pass or, you know, check the ESPN schedule or TNT schedule and watch a couple of, of, of Rockets games because it's a different era of basketball. It's more akin to what, you know, us recreational basketball players do in our regular day, you know, five guys get on the court and we just go out there and play and everybody thinks they can shoot because everybody thinks they can shoot. Mm-hmm. And, and also there's nobody clogging up the middle. Exactly. Everybody go to the basket or shoot the three and you can shoot. they're not even using screens, which makes them even more dangerous. So it's not like you're coming down the court and oh, all right, well, we can get ready for a switch because Harden's going to do a pick and roll. No, they, they have limited how many screens they run because Russell Westbrook is so fast that they know that with a live dribble, most guys in the NBA still can't keep up with him. Mm-hmm. And James Harden, with his dribble package, he can put anybody on his hip he wants once he gets into his rhythm dribbles, the same way Kyrie does. Once he gets your legs bopping and bopping and bopping and, and he gets you to stand up, you're done. Yep. And he can get by you or he can get you on his hip, which is like I've alluded to earlier in the NBA. That's the new thing. If I get you on my hip, you're done. Mm, absolutely you're you're done because all i have to do is jump you're gonna land on me i jump before you and i'm underneath you it's the law of physics how do you defend that as a defender if a guy jumps and you are leaning on him when he jumped he's gonna make contact with you on the way up exactly the only thing you can do is time your jump to jump away from him not be contesting him for him to take the shot and we all know that's not good defense because if you jump away from a guy and he feels no contact now all he's got to do is work on his mechanics. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really interesting what what Houston has has put on the menu for NBA teams to have to defend. But as always, it's been a pleasure. We're gonna bring episode sixty to a close. If you guys want to leave us a note or any type of communication, you can do so by recording a note on our podcast platforms where we are hosted. You can also send us an email directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook and Instagram. And on that note, Tied. That's two of them, but you're gonna have to. He's gonna try to see.